This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Fujitsu wins big supercomputing contract. And Intel unveils its quantum computing chip. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research and distributed in partnership with our friends at top500.org. I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. Michael, this week in HPC, we get to visit a supercomputing award for an initiative that we first talked about back in December of last year. This is uh, the ABCI Artificial Intelligence Supercomputer in Japan, and now we have a winner. Yeah. Well, Fujitsu got that contract, which is no huge surprise. They, they wanted another similar contract with Riken just uh uh, a few months ago, several months ago. So this is going to be something similar to that, but it's actually going to be the biggest uh, supercomputer in Japan when it's built uh, and goes in operation sometime next year. This is from the National Institute of Advanced Industrial Science and Technology, or AIST, in Japan. And specifically, this is for the AI Bridging Cloud Infrastructure, or ABCI. This was billed as when it was unveiled as a project as a massive AI supercomputer to be available to Japanese uh, industrial partners and researchers to build out an AI infrastructure in Japan. What interests me is now that the award has been made, certainly there's there's a lot of good AI qualities about this, but they're also talking about it in terms of traditional HPC terms. They talk about you know the single precision and even the half precision flops, but also the double precision flops. And from a strict HPC perspective and looking at double precision, this is a, a hefty supercomputer that's going to be right up there on the top 500 list. Right. They said uh, this is going to be 37 double precision petaflops, which would place it about number three on the list today. Um, so that's with uh, that's with the full 64-bit flops capability. And the, the way they're getting all this is they're using the, the new V100 GPUs from NVIDIA, which we reported on several times and we're, are starting to ship now in, in some quantities. So they're going to use those very powerful chips. Each one is, I think, uh, 7 or 7.5 teraflops. And this is a fairly big uh, implementation of that. So it's not surprising they're getting up there. But uh, on the on the deep learning side, when you're talking about those flops, it's actually half an exaflop, a little more, 550 petaflops of those mixed precision uh, flops. That's 1632 bits uh, that that are implemented in the tensor cores in the V100. Now, this uh, supercomputer is scheduled to be deployed in 2018, so we could see some. Uh, reshuffling at the top of the list, as we often do, especially with some other big systems that we know are on the horizon. But as of right now, this would be the largest system in Japan and would be, what, roughly number three overall if it were installed today, correct? Yeah, correct. It would be about number three today, if, if all things being equal, if they got a decent Limpack run on it, which which they should with the uh, with the GPUs, so but it probably won't show up on the list this time around next month. Um, the earliest I think we would see it would be uh, yeah, in the June, June next list. Year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which which I would expect if they're on time, we'll we'll get that uh, reading then. Now here's the big thing that interests me. You know, obviously we've talked about a lot of the commonality between deep learning and AI with the HPC market. There are a lot of components, particularly with some of these GPU accelerators that get involved in both. Now, this was pitched as 
an AI project. It's got AI right in the name. The uh, they, We took a two-letter uh, acronym AI and abbreviated that to just A for ABCI, but the, the A in ABCI is for artificial intelligence. That's right. what this is for, but now it really seems like it's going to be more general scientific mixed workloads. And and to me, I look at this like the historical patterns we've seen in supercomputing markets when there is a big new trend, like say, big data and analytics, or even going back to grid computing, that that gets used as a funding mechanism to say, here's why we really need a new supercomputer. And then eventually you put in a supercomputer and it looks a lot like other supercomputers might. This one does have a lot of GPUs in it. An analytic supercomputer might have had a lot of flash in it, but it winds up solving or serving a lot of the same general scientific applications another supercomputer might have done. So you know, I get, yeah, we want to advance AI in Japan, and I think there are some reasons for that. But I think what we really got here was another supercomputer for the country. Yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, they had even even when they initially announced that they had talked about uh, the machine uh, would be used for that sort of technology. Now, I, I have a feeling you're right. They've hyped the, the AI part of this. Um, and sort of de-emphasize the traditional simulation slash physics part of it. But I, I suspect uh, most of the user base from AIST is, is doing the traditional HPC work and will be used mostly for that. Now, we'll be able to use the, the, the GPUs for that, but not all codes are, are geared for that. Now, this also comes with the new Skylake CPUs, so those will probably get used to some effect with uh, traditional supercomputing applications as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be plenty of researchers in AI or wanting to run AI applications that will want to use this, but I have a feeling the lion's share of that workload is still going to be, you know, sort of conventional HPC. Now, you made a good point pointing out those Skylake processors. Of course, the a lot of the attention is on the, the Volta V100s, the uh, NVIDIA acceleration here, but look at Fujitsu and its transition in architectures where we've associated them with a lot of the big Spark machines and they've already announced with their post-K architecture going into Exascale that they're going to be relying on ARM processors. Now, ARM, we still haven't seen any really big supercomputing efforts coming out of ARM. Do you think this is maybe a way station where we, you know, uh, we go away from the Spark architecture, we can build an Intel plus GPU maybe as a as a bridge to go over to eventual ARM plus GPU architectures in the future. I I wonder if that's a kind of stepping stone. Well, yeah, I think this is what they basically have available today. They don't have their ARM platform uh, fully cooked yet, so they've got their primary G servers they've had for a while, and they keep upgrading those, and these are a, a certain flavor of those servers, and, they, and they're outfitted with with uh, x86 CPUs. So this is what they're using. But yeah, I mean, if we talk about this four years from now, we might have an ARM uh, GPU uh, system being offered for the same sort of uh, application space or even a, even a, 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 a GPU, well, a different GPU configuration entirely uh, coming up with that. I mean, they're going to have... Uh, if they're working on the Riken system, the first exascale system, those will have their own vector processors, which will be very powerful, and they might not even have GPUs in them. They might rely entirely on those uh, basically HPC versions of ARM. So we'll have to see that's how it's developed, but none of those 
are are in production today. So uh, anything coming in 2018 and probably 2019 as well will be you know x86 based at this point. Yeah, that you have to be right. There's there's just too far to go on ARM for right now to consider doing something like that based on ARM in 2018. There's the whole software ecosystem to worry about. How do they operate at that kind of scale? If you are going to add accelerators, then what's the interface to the GPU? What's the memory architecture? There's a long way to go with ARM still. But I want to come back once more to the the AI implications here because you know that does make a big deal to Japan. A lot of the AI, as we've talked about, the the real leaders in deep learning thus far have actually been the hyperscale companies. So uh, companies headquartered in the U.S., you look at Google and Facebook and Microsoft and Amazon. China, of course, has several hyperscale companies as well, with Baidu probably leading the list in terms of how much work they've done on AI. And Japan in as much as they want to be one of the world leaders in supercomputing, uh, they don't really have the big hyperscale provider in Japan who's going to provide that similar kind of uh, cloud service provider level of deep learning infrastructure. So maybe right. that that really waters the need to bring in something specifically for AI. No, I think you're right. I, I mean, I think, uh, especially calling this uh, a bridging cloud infrastructure, right? I think it sort of fills that need. They're going to use this as a platform for researchers that otherwise might have had to or would have turned to a domestic hyperscale provider for this. And since, like you pointed out, Japan really doesn't have that, uh, this probably will serve that that uh, that role. Now, we should say this isn't the only AI supercomputer being built. There's basically uh, there were three announced. Uh, earlier this year, one of them was Subami 3.0, which is going to be a, another dual machine that's going to serve both AI and HPC, and then mostly HPC, but those have the GPUs as well. And actually, Fujitsu wanted a, another contract with Riken to build a uh, a different AI system that was supposed to actually go in this spring, but nobody really heard about that. But that was going to be another machine with, uh, with GPUs and uh, x86 chips as well. They did talk about how powerful that would be but it was a fairly big machine too but again uh that one's basically going to or mostly serve the ai community so japan is very focused on this application space for for a variety of reasons but yeah they they have to do a lot of domestic work because they don't have the 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 infrastructure that uh the h or the u.s and uh, china enjoys yeah, some of that is a funding mechanism, though. I, if you were installing a new supercomputer in 2013, the way to get the money was to say that it was going to do analytics and graph processing. If you want to do a supercomputer in 2018 and you need the money, you need to say it's going to do AI. That's how you get the check. Yeah, I think there's some of that going on for sure. Yep. All right, Michael. Also this week in HPC, you know, we've been talking about quantum computing quite a bit. We haven't talked about Intel in that context very much. So uh, Intel making the news in both of our items this week in HPC, but this is a very different look at a very different kind of chip. Intel now really getting into the quantum computing race. They have revealed a 17 qubit chip through one of their research partners. Right. They've actually been working with this research partner. It's known as QTech, and that's uh, a company that works out of the Netherlands uh, in conjunction with uh, a couple of other uh, academic uh, institutes, Delft University of Technology, as well as the Dutch Organization of Applied Research. It's basically, they're all 
collaborating together on quantum computing technology. And in this case, Intel chose them as, as their major partner for that. Um, but yeah, we haven't heard much from Intel about this. We know they had a quantum computing program going on underneath the covers, but this is the first time they actually revealed they'd produce some hardware out there. Now, this isn't going to go, this isn't going to be accessible to anybody at this point, except for QTech, who's going to go and test it and, and work with the chip to, to develop uh, some of the specs and some of the, uh, some of the software around it. But it is basically Intel's first quantum computing chip. Yeah, I had to take a look at QTech. I was that's the, they're the very interesting link in this chain for our listeners. That's spelled Q U T E C H QTech, and uh, as you were saying, they're they've been a researcher in this quantum computing space, uh, starting with grants that they got uh, from the Dutch government. They started with 146 million euros over a 10-year period. They've since then attracted other corporate partners, including Microsoft. And then in 2015, Intel came on board with an additional $50 million over a 10-year period. And it's actually in some of the reports available on QTech's own website that you can get a sense of the uh, the story of development behind this 17 qubit chip, which struck me as an unusual number and also a largish number to be coming with right out of the gate. But uh, it's presaged in uh, reports from two years ago talking about the work that Intel was doing with error correction on these quantum chips. Of course, there's a lot of potential degradation in uh, in the quantum signals. And what they've been working on for a long time is essentially striping the data for one qubit across multiple qubits and then using other qubits to do the parity checking between those multiple bits. So they described a five qubit processor in which the data for one qubit was distributed across three qubits and then two additional ones would check the parity between top, middle, and bottom qubit. So that's five in total for one qubit's worth of data. And they talked then in their 2015 report about a project with Intel to expand that to uh, nine plus eight, where the data is, is, is distributed across nine qubits, and then you need eight more qubits to do the parity checking. That's your 17 qubit processor. I, that looks like what we have here. Right. In the, in the report in 2016, they actually said this is the objective for 2017, the realization of a processor with a logical qubit in a 17 qubit uh, configuration. So I, I think that's what has been produced here. Uh, they, basically, the press announcement from Intel didn't sort of go into that detail. They talked about a little bit about the uh, uh, the advanced materials, although not in any detail that they were using, and the uh, the interconnect. And interestingly enough, they're using gold connectors to interface this thing to basically the external world. Um, this is this is one of those technologies. It's a cryogenic chip, so they're using superconducting technology, like we've seen in in the Google and IBM quantum chips as well. So they're using the same flavor of technology, and then they've got sort of these exotic materials they're using. Uh, to put the to put the actual hardware and silicon together. 
You know, it's tracking quantum computing. I get to the point where at some point I'm going to read one of these reports and they're just going to tell me it's magic and I'm going to have no idea of knowing whether or not that's it's actually true. I, I do my best to stay up to date on it. it I, it's trying to make sense. But yeah, the cryogenic uh, chips with the gold interface, you've got a beautiful picture along with your story on top500.org. You've covered both stories there. And, and I also found the reports on, on QTech's own website to be quite illuminating here yeah i mean it's definitely an interesting development i mean i think to put this in context i think intel is a little bit behind the curve because we've talked a lot about about what uh ibm is doing they constructed a 17 qubit chip back in uh back in may in june google said it it was testing a 20 qubit chip and they've talked about getting a, a 49 qubit chip in production before the end of this year. So I think Intel is playing catch up to some degree here, but it, you know, we have to say it's very early in this, in this technology ramp up and uh, it's anybody's game right now. And I think uh, everybody's sort of scrambling to, to, to be the first out of the gate because this is a, a very valuable technology and it's got a lot of upside in, in different areas, not, uh, not least of which is machine learning itself. Uh, there's that machine learning again, and we're going to keep watching that as we head into supercomputing, where I'm yep. sure that deep learning, machine learning, AI are going to be really dominant themes we're going to hear a lot about. Well, undoubtedly, yes. <laughs> All right, Michael, thanks a lot, and thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.